0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. In Genesis chapters 2 and 3, We read of where the battle for the souls of people began in the Garden of Eden. Let me just read for you a statement, a series of statements that was made to help us to understand the context of what we're discussing. With regard to the fall of man, this is by far the saddest event in history obviously, all problems, personal and environmental, all that is wrong, evil, immoral, incomplete, all that is decaying, all that is inferior, all failure, all disappointment, all weakness, all sadness, all sorrow, all pain, all disillusionment. All trouble, all discomfort, all remorse, all regret, all conflict, all hate, all jealousy, all envy, all bitterness, all vengeance, all fear, all crime, all selfishness, all confusion, all lies, all deception, all error, all intimidation, all manipulation all deviation, all distortion. Everything that fails to be as perfect as God is came from this one event. This then is a monumental event. It truly defines life in our universe. It is the reason for all imperfection and death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, that opened the floodgate, didn't it? As a result of that, the human family has faced immeasurable sorrow and trouble and trial and death. And so I want to just go back and look for a minute or two with you tonight about this battle and where it all began. And I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the prohibition. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, God sets forth a prohibition to the human family, that is, to the first couple. The first thing I want you to see has to do with the command, the command itself. So in verse 15, here's what Moses records. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded The man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But he said, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. When I think about this command that was given to mankind in the garden, Adam specifically, I think about Adam and Eve, the command that was given by Almighty God was very plain, wasn't it? Not only was it plain, it was precise. And then it was prohibitive. God said, there is a certain tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not to eat it because, he said, in the day you eat it, you will surely die. Sometimes parents will tell their children, you guys can play inside the house. You can go outside, play in the yard. You can play in the neighborhood, just don't play in the street. We understand what that means, don't we? You're free to play inside, you can play outside, just don't get in the street. You get in the street, you violated the command given to you by your parents. God said, here's the command. Now backing up this command, we have to understand that when God made man, He endowed him with the ability to make choices in life. That's what really sets us apart in many respects from the animal kingdom. We have the ability to make choices. Now, I understand that you can take a domesticated animal or you can take an animal and domesticate it and train that animal to do certain things. But we have been endowed with the ability to make choices in life. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, that's reflected in what God said. Listen again to what He said. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That tells us that God gave man a choice. You can eat and live, or rather you can eat and die. Or you can honor my, you can honor my command and live. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, on behalf of Almighty God, said to the children of Israel. He said, I have said before you today... Life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he said, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Joshua, who later would succeed Moses, said in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. In that same context, he said, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. So we have choices to make. They had choices to make. So we talk about this prohibition that was laid down to the first couple. And then secondly, I want to call attention to the provocation. This is really underscored in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we are introduced to the serpent or to Satan by way of profiling Satan. There are some things that are said that help us to understand the one that seduced the first couple in the garden. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 3, Matthew tells us that the serpent, the devil, this adversary of man, that he is the tempter. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 19, he is identified by Jesus as the wicked one. In chapter 13 verse 39, again from the book of Matthew, Jesus identifies him as the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said, He is the God of this age, the God of this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, at verse 2, he is called the prince of the power of the air. And then the words of John in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he is the deceiver of the whole world. And don't forget the words of Peter. I mentioned a moment ago, he is the adversary. Well, that's what Peter said. Be sober, be vigilant, your adversary of the devil. Walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So, by way of profile, the one that we're talking about is our adversary. He is man's age-old adversary. And then, linked to that, His purpose. If somebody were to ask you, what do you think the devil's all about? What's his intent? The devil is interested in the corruption and destruction of the human family. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. In verse 31, after God had made the world and all things therein, That would include man. God surveyed his creation. And the response was, it is very good. We are the crown of God's creation. That is, we are the human family. And God has blessed us immensely. And God wants the very best from each and every one of us. He wants what's best for all of us. Just like as a parent, we want the best for our children, don't we? As a grandparent, you want what's best for your grandchildren. God in heaven wants what's best for his creation. And so, God is interested in our welfare. He's interested in our well-being. The devil, however, is the adversary, not just of man, but of God. When God said everything that he surveyed was very good, the devil, his intent, destroy that. Which is the very crown of God's creation. On this occasion, Adam and Eve. Well, what about his strategy? Listen, if you would, to what Moses records in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was more subtle or cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, By way of his strategy, first of all, he's going to try to entice Eve. Once he entices her, that will lead to entrapment. And once entrapped, there is endangerment. So he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Let me just very quickly point out in verse 3. God had said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He did not say anything about touching it. She added to his word. Listen now to what the serpent said to the woman. You will not surely die. You want to talk about a blatant lie. That was as blatant a lie as ever has been perpetrated on the human family. God had just said, The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. When I think about what the serpent said to the woman, first, he sought to undermine the command of God. God had clearly said, They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. That command was plain, precise, and prohibitive. They could understand that. We can understand it. And so he sought to undermine the very command of Almighty God. And then he sought to undermine the character of God. Look at verse 5. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Again, another lie, wasn't it? Did they know the difference between good and evil up to this point in time? Yes, they did. God had clearly articulated that back in Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17. They knew exactly what God desired of them. And so the devil, as Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 44, is not just a murderer, but he is a liar. He is the father of all lies. Now look at verse 6. First, the intent is to put the bait out. And then once they take the bait, they're caught. They are, as we would say, ensnared, entrapped. So look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree, do you remember what John said regarding the world in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17? through 17? Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree, that's the lust of the eyes. When she saw that it was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, that's the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. So what do we have? Well, the devil, he enticed them. Not only did he entice them, but he ensnared the first couple because the Bible says she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. I can just imagine the devil saying, I got you. I got you just where I want you. I mentioned a moment ago the purpose of the devil. The purpose, the intent of the devil is to destroy the human family. He wants to destroy your soul. He is against everything that is good, everything that is holy, everything that is right and true and just. We talk about the human family and what a blessing it is to be a part of this human family to enjoy all the great blessings that God has bestowed on us. And you think about the things that God has blessed the human family with. And here is the devil, a snare to mankind, a thorn in the flesh to man, and intent on destroying us. And let me tell you what, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you're young or old. He doesn't care if you're a male or a female. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He's not concerned about your education. He doesn't care about you at all. His sole intent is to destroy your eternal soul. His intent in the Garden of Eden was to drive a wedge between God and His creation. And He did that. Because you see, once they ate from that forbidden tree, they were in real danger, weren't they? catastrophic consequences that would follow. So, let's talk for a minute about the penalty. In verse 7, the Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and, that they, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees or fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Let me just pause here for a minute. The first family, is now faced with a tremendous problem. The problem is, because they have violated the will of God, they're going to have to pay a terrible price. First, we think about physical death. God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Did you know that death was introduced to the human family on this occasion? Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Through one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, for that all have sinned. Every time we go to the cemetery, it is a solemn, sobering reminder of what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. How many times have we stood at the side of an open grave or gone to the funeral home to express Condolences to a family member because of a loss. and Tears are shed. And hearts are broken. And then I think about the devil. Our hearts are hurting. When Lazarus died, as recorded by John in chapter 11 of his gospel, the Bible says that Jesus wept in verse 35. And there may be a number of reasons why he wept. One of which... Because of the pain and sorrow that death has brought to the human family. And by the way, Jesus came to destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil according to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15. When our hearts are breaking, when we're crushed by the loss of a loved one, the devil's standing back and and gleefully laughing. We're hurting. And he's saying, I got another one. I got another one. And he doesn't care. If the deceased is young or old, he doesn't care anything about that. When we go to the cemetery, what it ought to do to us is to cause us to hate the devil more than ever. If you can't hate the devil for what he has done to the human family just by way of death. And so death became a reality physically. And with death came human suffering, and pain and sorrow, disease, etc. But then there's another problem. They died spiritually. They enjoyed full fellowship with God prior to their fall. When they fell prey to the devil and violated the will of God, a wedge was driven between them and their maker, their creator. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9? Well, in verse 8, the text says, "...they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." In verse 9, God asked the question to Adam, "...where are you? Did God know where Adam was?" God's omniscient. He knows everything." God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God knew exactly where Adam was. But He wanted Adam to understand His state, where He was at that point in time. It's interesting to me that Eve yielded to temptation and then she gave of that forbidden tree, that forbidden fruit, to her husband and he ate. But God, according to the text began to interrogate and cross-examine whom? Adam. You know why? Because Adam failed in his responsibility. Adam was to have been the protector of Eve. He dropped the ball. As a result of that, a lot of problems. There are a lot of physical problems that resulted. I mentioned that just a moment ago, but I want you to look at verse I want you to look at verse 15. We talk about The fact that the first couple died physically and spiritually. So there was a major problem. So what are the provisions that God begins to unveil for the human family, specifically at this point in time, Adam and Eve? Look at verse 15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to the serpent and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the beginning of the unfolding of the redemptive plan of God. What you have to understand is God knew before he ever made man that given the ability to make choices in life, man would ultimately make the wrong choice and thereby sin. And with sin, there would be separation. Thus, the need... For a Redeemer, a Messiah. And so in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God begins by announcing this Redeemer, this promised seed that would ultimately find its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. In Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, the Apostle John speaks of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. God had in place a plan to redeem His human family. Now I want you to look with me very quickly at Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about this plan. The provisions of this plan that are available to all of us within the human family. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the, the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. God predestined or foreordained. To save the human family in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's talking about the plan of redemption. Not talking about individuals that are predestined to be saved or lost. He's saying that all who obey His Son, all that live in conformity to His will will be saved in what? In this plan that's been revealed. So in verse 6 he said, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Then in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it brought about, as I said just a moment ago, catastrophic consequences. Now if you drop down and look, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3 again. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, when God set forth this promised seed, I mentioned that. It finds its fulfillment in Jesus, the Messiah. And so beginning at this point in time, there is the unveiling of this divine plan. And all through the Old Testament era, beginning in the period of the patriarchs, down through the Mosaic Dispensation, there is the pointing of the coming Messiah. In Genesis chapter 12, God called upon a man by the name of Abraham. And God told him, In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. That is, through his seed, the human family would be blessed. The fulfillment of that realized in Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, somebody might ask the question, what promise? The promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 at verse 3. Those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus are the sons of God, are they not? They are a part of a divine body and they are the recipients of this promise that was made thousands of years ago. We are the crown of God's creation. God in heaven loves each and every one of us to the extent that this plan was in place, executed absolute perfection and all we have to do is obey and live for him. I want to close by pointing out in verse 21 the Bible tells us that Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Some would say that there is an inference here to the fact that with the provisions of these skins to cover them there was the shedding of blood, a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice made. The Hebrew writer said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. You could make that case that blood was shed in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And so beginning in the book of Genesis and going forward, the period of the patriarchs, the Mosaic dispensation, blood was shed, animals were sacrificed in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the promised seed. When Jesus came, shed his blood on Calvary's cross, that blood flowed backward all the way to Adam. And until he comes again, it will continue to flow. So I ask you tonight, we talking about this battle where it all began. Whether we realize it or not, we're in a battle. And the devil's battling for our soul. The devil wants to ensnare, to entrap us, just as he did Adam and Eve. So my question to you is, have you availed yourself of the blood that was shed by Jesus on Calvary? You have to understand, you can't go to heaven without the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. The only way to appropriate that blood is, is to be in Christ because salvation is in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. When you're baptized into Christ, you appropriate the blood of Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Furthermore, you are added to the body of Christ. You have to be in the body because Jesus is the Savior of the body. The devil's battling for your soul. And because God made you with the ability to make choices in life, here's the deal. It's your choice. It's your choice. You can choose to be receptive to His will and honor Him by obeying Him. Or you can reject Him. That's your will. That's within your prerogative. Now, if you are receptive to His will, obey Him. You will enjoy an abundant life, as Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10. You will enjoy the quality of life defined as eternal in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. If you reject Him, you're on shaky ground. Because you see, the one we were talking about a minute ago, the serpent, the devil, the enemy, the adversary, he has a date with destiny. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, That he will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen, the devil is going to hell. He's going to hit hell so hard he'll knock the bottom out. And his intent is to take as many folks with him as possible. And what God is saying is, I want you to be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you haven't obeyed the gospel, why not be baptized into Christ tonight for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. If you're here tonight, you're unfaithful, could we encourage you to come home to realize that God will abundantly pardon every sin. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul.